The day becomes night. I lay there wondering just how this thunderstorm has so much might. Is the sky angry at all it sees? Sending winds blowing so roughly through the trees. Flashes and booms like the sky is falling. Almost as if Mother Nature herself is calling. Is she scared of night too, when it's black instead of blue? When the sun's asleep and all the small critters, a nighttime blanket taking care of their shivers. So every 12 hours I lay there in fright. All because the day becomes night. Welcome back, everyone, to the Teen Inc. Podcast. That poem I just read is called When the Day Becomes Night, and it was by an anonymous author. This is my favorite time of year. I love being scared. I love costumes, and I love when the weather gets that little crisp chill in the air. I'm someone who goes to haunted houses nearly every year, has seen almost every horror movie on Netflix, and I have a long list of Halloween costume ideas in my notes app. For me, fall isn't about pumpkin spice lattes and turtleneck sweaters. I need to be creeped out. So I figured I should do some research and introspection into why we, or I, like to be scared. In an article by Psychology Today, researchers noted that there's a rush and release of endorphins when you get scared specifically adrenaline and dopamine, and that's a main factor for why thrill-seekers seek the thrills. When paired with the feeling of being safe, especially when you're wrapped up in a cozy blanket on your couch or in a haunted house that has many attendants everywhere and lit-up exit signs for you to see, your brain kind of finds solace in that kind of situation. I do want to make clear I like being scared when I am safe in my house or when I am in a situation where I know that I'm not actually in danger. If I were actually in danger, well, I would probably find out whether I'm more fight or flight. I I have no idea and luckily I haven't been in that situation before and hopefully I don't have to be in that situation and nobody has to be in that situation um, in the future. Anyway, yes, it's controlled fear, as they said in Psychology Today. And something that I love when people ask me what I love about horror movies, I say specifically, you know, when you're in a movie theater and you're watching a horror movie, I feel camaraderie with the other people in the theater. It could be five people. It could be a hundred people. But you know that moment when something happens on screen, makes everybody jump, and then everyone kind of laughs because of their reaction? Oh, I love it. Nothing like it. Nothing brings you closer together than um, (laughs) being scared and then laughing at yourself afterwards. And do let me know if um, nobody else knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I need I need to know if this is just a me thing or if this is a, a universal thing. This week on the podcast, I've assembled a truly terrifying array of fictitious horror stories for you to listen to on a dark, misty night. Or in broad daylight, I don't know, you get to choose. You can listen to this wherever you are. As just a forewarning... There are less than savory topics in each of these stories, including murder, 
gruesome figures and even a touch of cannibalism. Uh, just know that if you decide to continue listening to this episode, you're not in for a fun fall treat. If you don't think you can stomach it, I suggest turning back now. Good luck. <laughs> The first stop on this terrifying haunted hayride is called The Car, and it was written by me, Alexis Cologne. It was an overcast day, and I was finally going to buy my first car. I'd seen an ad on lookforyourfirstcar.com, and although the site looked somewhat shady, after looking at the reviews for the site, I decided to at least check it out. After hours of looking, I finally found the perfect car a 1960s Jaguar E-Type. It was my dream car, the perfect combination of history and sports car. It was incredibly cheap, too, but I suppose that was to be expected from the person that was selling it. Coincidentally, the car was right around the corner, about five blocks from my house. The seller was an old woman who'd recently lost her husband to old age and was selling everything her husband owned. From what I've heard, her husband and her never really got along after some incident that happened back when they first moved into the neighborhood. I'd met her a few times when I was younger, but I never really took any time to really talk to her. She seemed like a nice lady, especially if she had my dream car in her garage. My line of thought stopped as I walked upon the woman's house. She just happened to be outside, sitting on a rocking chair, looking at the overcast sky with an unreadable look on her face. I started approaching her porch, and as she took notice of me, she gave me a small wave. "'Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm Asher. I'm here about the car you're selling. I spoke to you about it on the phone yesterday, and I told you I'd come around this time,' I told her respectably. "'Ah, yes, I was expecting you, young man,' she said. "'Does the offer for the car still stand? Will you really sell it at such a low price?' I wondered, hoping that she hadn't changed her mind overnight and that my being here would be for naught. Of course. After all that has happened, I would love to get rid of that car and all of the horrible memories that came with it. I always wanted to sell it, but my idiot husband thought otherwise, she responded by dismissing my concerns about the matter. Oh, thank you, ma'am. I have the cash right here, I said gratefully, taking out the money from my bag and putting it on the small table beside her. She started counting the money and looked up at me as she finished. No problem, young man, she said, smiling lightly and standing up from her chair. "'Would you please stay here for a while while I look for my car keys?' she asked. "'Of course, ma'am,' I replied. "'I'll just be a moment,' she said, going inside. After a short moment, she was back out with the keys and the car title in her hand. "'Here are the keys and the documentation for the title of the car,' she said, handing them to me and taking out another set of keys from her pocket and pushing a button. "'The car is in the garage. I've opened the door for you, so you can go right ahead and take it out.' "'Thank you, ma'am. I'll do that now,' I said, excitedly, almost jumping for joy. I quickly made my way to the right of the house where the garage was. And there it was. It was breathtaking, a real beauty. But for one moment I felt as if something was off about it. Naturally, I brushed the feeling off and went to take a closer look at it. It was an opalescent silver-gray color with red seats. I opened the door and noticed how beautiful the inside looked. The seats were an amazing color of red, my favorite color. I climbed into the car and sat on the seat, taking the keys and turning on the engine. The feeling I got as I turned on the car was blissful, but again, a small speck of dread settled itself into the back of my mind. 
Again, I ignored it, deciding to take the car out of the garage instead. Once out, the woman came up to the car's window. I rolled the window down so I could hear what she had to say. Well, the car is all yours now, so you can take it away right now and never let me see it again, she said. I wasn't surprised by her words. After all, she didn't seem very fond of the car. All right, ma'am, I'll see you around, I guess, I said, eager to take the car home. Have a safe trip, young man, she said, and with that, I was off to my house in my new car. The drive home was less exciting, despite everything, and I made it home in less time than I thought. When I got home, I parked the car outside and went to bed as the sun was setting, and I found myself somewhat tired after the excitement that I had. So, I went to bed and fell asleep quite quickly, awaiting the next day when I could drive my car. However, at around three in the morning, I woke up. Something was telling me that I wanted to go drive the car. Not want, need to go drive the car. I got up, and without even changing, I went to get the keys. I opened the front door, and I went out to the front where my car was parked. I opened the door of the car, and I started the engine. Drive, 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 drive. drive. It was as if something was whispering to me to drive. I stepped on the reverse, and then I started driving as if I was possessed. Mommy and Daddy forgot about me, and the horrible heat got me. Mommy and Daddy forgot about me, and the horrible heat got me. Mommy and Daddy forgot about me, and the horrible heat got me. What was happening? I wasn't even in control of the car anymore. Everything was out of control. The heater was on full heat, but the door wouldn't open. I was going to be burnt alive if I kept going at this rate. Mommy and Daddy left me inside. Now you'll have to die. Mommy and Daddy left me inside. 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 Now you'll have to die. It kept repeating and repeating the same thing. Now I finally understood what that blasted old woman meant when she said there were bad memories in the car. My last thought before falling unconscious was that I should have followed my instincts. This next spooky tale is called The Caricature by Olivia DeVito. The floor had always been comfortable, but unexpectedly waking up there was not. This was quickly learned when he turned his head to the side and found table legs blocking his sight, specifically his dining room table. The mahogany wood slightly chewed at the bottom from the dog he had. Countless insufferable family dinners were had here over the years. The bitter memories made him want to crawl back to his slumber, the slumber he could not recall falling into. His calloused hands grasped the wood as he attempted to bring himself to his feet. His legs weakened and buckled as the safety of the floor reclaimed him once more. Faint ribbons of light streamed through the curtains from the window above. The slits of his eyes closed as he prepared to bathe his face in the sunlight. However, that familiar warmth never came. Everything was cold. A red glow creeped in from the darkness of his still-closed eyes, beckoning them to open. Yet when he did, the startling discovery that the red glow came from the window outside was enough to spring him to his feet. A debilitating chill echoed through his veins as he hobbled to the window, pressing his palms to the glass. A heavy fog of crimson red blanketed the street. Did the fog cover the whole town? Maybe even the world? He pondered these thoughts to himself in an almost manic state. His racing mind was the only thing he could hear, for the mist had carried an impenetrable barrier of silence. A quiet that was so heavy it was suffocating. Tuning away from the window, the entire home was dark. 
devoid of all light, all signs of life as well. It was as if all inhabitants of this quaint house in a suburban neighborhood had disappeared, evaporated into that blood-red quilt of gas. Many days, the boy wished and prayed for people to stop being so loud. He found the sounds of their laughter irritating, the way they chewed their food or tapped their feet against the floor. But now that his prayers had been answered, finally, he had never missed the noise so much. Reluctantly, he turned the corner of the house into the kitchen, its wooden cabinet doors beaten down and falling from the wall. The microwave read the time, 6.13 a.m. This would be the time he would be sleeping on any usual summer day. But this day was different. It didn't even feel like a day at all. It was as if he was in a different reality altogether. Questioning his existence, he continued on through the house. He couldn't shake those nagging questions from his brain. They were like flies, crawling on his skin and buzzing their intolerable songs in his ears. The thoughts made him itch, and when he did, he ended up pulling a fly from his hair. Repulsed, he crushed the bug in his fingers. Actual flies were now buzzing all around his head, as if they were plucked from his disgusting imagination. He peered into the hallway to find the source of the vermin, when a noise stopped him dead in his tracks. The wooden floorboards creaked, subtly, but enough to hint at some other life in this desolate home. Quietly backing out of the hallway, he waited for the noise to draw nearer. It was coming from the spare bedroom. Shuffling noises. Was it feet walking? The bedroom door began to open. Whoever was behind that door was scared. He could sense this in their gradual opening of it, followed by hushed whispers. His mother stepped out of the room. She didn't notice him immediately. Her face looked sullen. Then she saw him. Oh, what are you doing up so early, baby? Well, early for you, I should say. Her face seemed to lit up as she spoke. Baby? He was taken aback by the pet name, something she rarely called him. Following close behind was his father. Good morning. I've taken off work today. We can all have some quality time together. Feels like we don't do that much, his father stated, which was unusual for his workaholic self. The boy looked into his father's eyes briefly, but that second of eye contact held enough tension to clue how he really felt about his dad. Remembering the mist, he turned back to his mother. Have you checked outside yet? She walked to the bedroom window and peered outside. I've always enjoyed gloomy mornings. The sun should be rising soon. Her face darkened again as she remembered the sunrise, yet she fully ignored the red fog's existence. What about the red mist? He was almost yelling now, frustrated by their nonchalance. You know, I've always thought there was something off with your vision. Maybe you really are colorblind, his dad chuckled. I'll start on breakfast. I know it's early, but the sooner that we get things done, the better, his mother said, her last remark puzzling him. They were too calm. He lost his appetite. Both parents walked past him and headed for the kitchen, his dad gently grabbing his arm and pulling him from the hallway as they went. You two sit at the table. I'll make the scrambled eggs, his mother suggested. He was dreading having to sit at the table with them. Was he the lunatic for seeing the mist, or were they for not seeing it? With his mother fixated on the stove, she went off on her tangents. The food will be ready soon. I remember when you were younger, you used to eat this all the time. After I would come home from work, you would beg me to make this for you. It annoyed me at the time, but... Looking back on it, it was so precious, she reminisced, hypnotized by the memory. No, he did remember the other nights, though. The nights where she would fight back tears in her old mascara because Dad wasn't returning his calls again. 
The nights that ended in either a bloody nose or a hug that was nothing short of a caricature. The anger of his past was enough to make him leave the dinner table. He pushed his chair in as his mother sighed with disappointment. The attempt at a perfect family breakfast ruined. He began walking towards the hallway, hearing his parents' footsteps after him. Something had caught his eye. The closet door was slightly ajar, enthralling him in his gravitational pull. His dad sprang into view, breaking him from his thoughts. Hey, we don't need to go in there. Just stay here with us, his dad pleaded with him frantically. Acute twitching movements pinged throughout his body. His dad looked like he was on the brink of an explosion. His unexpected erraticness sent chills through his son's spine. His mother's hands lightly squeezed his shoulders. Your father's right. Breakfast is almost ready. I work so hard on it. Your favorite, remember? Ignoring the requests of his parents, he pushed past his dad's barrier and grasped the door handle. A warm energy ebbed from the entrance, encouraging him to move forward. Hands grabbed his arms and head. These hands were pulling, yanking, desperate hands, no trace of benevolent intent left. Unbridled calamity had broken through the surface, just as he had broken down the door. Tumbling into the room, he hit the ground hard, feeling something brush the very tips of his hair above him. Cautiously, he lifted his face to find the bottom of a foot resting on his nose. He crawled backwards, revealing a horrifying reality as it unfolded before him. The feet were part of a limp and lifeless body, attached to the ceiling from a noose. The body ached for him, and as he scanned its face, he saw his own staring back at him. The same flies that were circling his head moments ago crawled down his deceased body's face above him. Paralyzed with fear and disgust, warmth hit his head. The sun had risen. The light, in its ember glow and beauty, beat down into the faces of his parents as well, but the eyes that looked back at him were no longer brown. They were two pairs of red, beady eyes. Well, you have made it to the last stop on this haunted hayride. Um, I just want to see how you're doing. This article shook me to my core. Um, (laughs) I'm getting a little spooked out here. Anyway, this is called Wicker, and it's by Anushka Sen. I remember the time our village had warm, loamy soil and a pond where the children would wade into the summer to play in until their mothers would drag them out at sundown. That was before the drought had settled upon the village like a dark rain cloud. A curse, the villagers whispered. It was like a scourge had gripped the land. Crops had withered and trees had dried up. The pond had drunk its own water and the sun had scorched the earth's cracked corners. I was born before the drought and its ensuing famine, saved by the fact that I was a boy. I'd seen my mother suffocate her infant daughter in the first year of the famine. With nothing to eat except the dried pickled prunes my mother had managed to preserve, I spent my time listening to the stories my best friend, Lewin, told me. Lewin was from a rich family, and their coin had shielded them from hunger. After catching a few villagers in their pantry, Lewin's father had hired guards that only allowed me entrance. The day Lewin told me this story was warm, bereft of the punishing heat the sun usually inflicted. He was in his bed, sipping his red rice porridge, and had given me a box of compressed cabbage fermented in salt. "'You are so funny,' he commented, when he saw me take a cube and stuff it into my mouth. It was salty, and it had the beginnings of rot crawling over, but it was nourishment. "'Hm?' I questioned through my half-stuffed face. "'The way you eat,' he clarified. "'It's funny. You must eat slowly to digest your food.' 
The rotting food I'd eaten would only wish to be digested, but my failing body cared not much. Lewin's words made me want to reach over and pick his teeth out. I have another story for you, he whispered, a conspiratorial grin on his face. My father told me last night as we supped. Supper. It was a foreign word. My mother and I would only have one meal a day, and once our small stash of wrinkled pumpkins depleted, I shuddered to think of it. Tell me, I smiled with salt-stained teeth. It's about a wicker basket my great-grandmother had, he burped, his lips wet with porridge. It could do anything you wanted it to. You just had to place one piece of something you loved in it every time you wished. Is that how you have so much food? I asked curiously. No, he wiped his mouth. We have food because father works hard and mother does the books. But never mind that. My father also told me that the basket was cursed. Whoever learned of it wanted to own it, and whoever had it was always in danger of death. I could understand why, even though it vexed Lewin. My great-grandmother was a witch, he hissed in disgust. She made the basket from the skin of her infant daughter and blessed it with the essence of a dark god. She used it to terrorize the good villagers until my great-grandfather tricked her into falling in love and marrying him. After she'd had his son, he poisoned her. But he knew she would return for revenge, so he cleaved her apart until she was no bigger than a cubed pig and spread her remains in the forest far from the village. "'Your grandfather sounds just.' "'He was.' Lewin's face lit up at the mention of his family's honor. The witch came back to haunt his eldest son, almost killed him, said that she had her rights as a mother, but my great-grandfather banished her to the forest with his holy scriptures. He gave his son the basket she had held dear, so that a piece of her would stay with him. Even though she was an evil hag, she had been his wife and the bearer of his son. My father says that only someone who murders the true carrier of the basket can own it, and even then, the witch's ghost will haunt you. But she wasn't banished? She cannot harm you, but her rotten breath will creep down your spine when you're trying to sleep, and she will whisper frightening things to you when you are alone. I absently picked at another leaf of cabbage. Does your family still have the basket? Lewin shrugged. I wouldn't know. But if you did have it, you would be to inherit it, right? He seemed to think before giving a slow nod. It has been twelve days since the famine ended. Twelve days since Lewin and his father went missing, and his mother left the village, distraught with the absence of her two great loves. My mother had cried of joy, finally able to spend her internal water when rain had come down upon the cracked earth, a gift from the heavens. And I had eaten pork floss for the first time in three years, with the silvery specter of a woman beside me. Her teeth were crooked and yellow, her eyes a bulging red, and her hair matted with cow's blood. Every night, I would offer her a small piece of her great-grandson, a nail or a piece of coagulated blood, and she would wail in contempt. My mother, fed and peaceful, never heard. And every night, I would wish more of the famine away with the things I loved the most. Well, to all... You teenagers out there who are writing horror stories uh, and submitting them to Teen Inc., I simply have to applaud you. I am spooked. This scared me, and I'm going to have to blast a very happy song after this because I'm scared of leaving this room. I don't know what's on the other side. You guys are very good, very spooky for 
more spooky stories to read by flashlight, check out the October issue of Teen Inc. magazine. We have tons of scary fiction, as well as horror movie and book reviews, to send a little tingle down your spine. And for this week's writing prompt, I want to know your favorite Halloween costume of all time. What made it special? Why are you proud of it? I'm very interested. As I said before, I am uh, a lover of costume parties, both around and far removed from Halloween. It could be any time of year, and I would be down. Um, I hope you guys have a very lovely and spooky and safe Halloween. And I once again want to encourage you, if you think that you can scare the bejesus out of me and all the other Teen Inc. editors, please do so. We, I love being scared. I cannot stress it enough. So submit your writing to teenink.com slash submit. And next week, we're going to talk about something less scary. Or, uh, could be daunting, but it's about photography. And we're going to have a very cool surprise about photography. So make sure to tune in and... We'll see you next week. Bye.